nine times out of 10, they're going to go with a second time founder over a first time founder, especially when they have this domain. And I think the, 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 going back to what Rodney was just saying about these homes, right? So I dove into it a little bit. So the way, the way it's actually working is Adam came to the table with 4,000 apartments already spread across Nashville, Atlanta, Miami, and many other cities, right? Yo guys, what's going on? How y'all been doing? Been doing great. Doing great. Uh, Been in New York for a little weekend trip and uh, it's been great. Yeah. How are you guys doing? I'm going to keep it a stack with you. I'm definitely recovering, bro. Um, <laughs> you know, the whole L.A. Tech Week, that was a dope experience. Got to tap in with my guys. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, as soon as I got back to Atlanta, I feel like I just jumped right back into in, into everything. And so had a panel that I ended up doing and then had a few of our advisors out here. And so just spending time with them and doing some strategic stuff. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little socially exhausted, man. Got to recharge. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. I can only, yeah. I can only imagine, bro. I saw the, um, I saw a lot of, a lot of chatter over the past week when LA Tech Week was happening. So it seemed like it was a, a lot of good networking happening. I was definitely yeah. getting a little bit of FOMO for sure. But I think because of the way they structured the events, mm-hmm. it seemed like they made it hard to get into it into strange. some, into some events that at yeah. least that I was interested, mostly interested in. So yeah. that was part of, partly why I wasn't able to make it. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, man, it's been a crazy busy couple of weeks. I'm on like the highest high right now. I'm like okay. obviously getting married this week. Yeah, it's crazy. so I'm like, congrats, man. I'm just in crazy. Like pure. Uh, thank you. I'm just in like pure execution mode. Where I'm yeah, just like just even work, yeah, like, life. I'm just like super focused and yeah. locked in. So yeah, it's a good state of mind. Hold up, you get right. You get married and you still you still work, bro. You. Why aren't you just focusing on your wedding this week? That's a, <laughs> yeah, you only know, get right? one of these. That's how Dre is. You only get one of these. <laughs> I'm a founder. I'm a founder, man. <laughs> that's why. That's why. That is that's true, why. bro. That's the cap table tells me true. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do the work. So hey, that's, that's what it costs. You no, know, really, you know what it really be too. When you when you are paying people, it does feel different now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like when it was just kind of like yeah. me getting my paycheck, you know, it's kind of like you slack off a little bit. And don't get me wrong, founders we're human too. You know what I'm saying? Like we're productive, but we also slack off as well. But like. When we now when we slack off, it feels different though. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it's like, Definitely. you know, especially because like I know, you know, when you hire a good team, you're good people. You know what I'm saying? So you don't want to, you know, make uh, decisions that will affect the business, but all their lives too. So I get that. Yeah, a hundred percent on that. A hundred percent on that. Speaking of tech, LA Tech Week, since you all both attended, mm-hmm. I guess it'd be a good starting point to kind of start there. Mm-hmm. Were there any yeah. major takeaways that you all kind of took away from the event? How was Because this was the first yeah. year they did it. Um, and there was a lot of anticipation leading up to it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were super excited. So mm-hmm. was it worth the, was it noise or signal? Like what was, what was good about it? Yeah. Was it worth it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Any highlights from, from the uh, event? I'll go. So, you know, obviously I live, you know, I live in Venice, uh, California. So right in the middle of pretty much everything, Silicon Beach slash that late tech week, there was a bunch of events that I signed up for, but I only ended up going to a handful, primarily just because mm-hmm. I think I had less of a, what's it called? I had a lot of the people that went to LA tech week 
it was good to like see like people, for example, like me and Brown were at the Stonks event and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Josh and a few others, Dollar as well. And it, it was mm-hmm. great to see people who we collaborate with and work with, but maybe like in different states and whatnot. So that was great. But I just didn't really go to that many events. I obviously I went to the Stonks event because like it it just made sense. I mean, that was one of their top companies <laughs> that they did. So I felt like I had to kind of show up to that one. But it was great though. I mean, I got to meet the uh, CEO Ali, and then also John. He hosted my event, my Stonks event. So uh, they were both happy to see me. And they invited me back. So that that was um very nice. And I also think that uh it was nice from a uh, a founder perspective too, because I got an opportunity to speak at one of my investors' events. He runs a firm called Javono. Yeah, I got to do a panel with some other founders, very strong women founders. One of them was actually the founder of Ubeam. Her name is Meredith. She was super smart. And then we had another founder and she was great too. You know, everybody was just very smart. So I, I felt very grateful to be able to speak at, at an event. So I have both perspectives of being a speaker, but also being you know, like just a, a visitor. Did Launch yeah. House, real quick for you, Ron, did Launch House do anything? I yeah. Know, I'm sure they yeah. had a lot of stuff. I'm sure they had a lot of stuff. Going you know, on. Launch House definitely had a lot of stuff. And it was interesting too, because obviously like I have great relationships with Launch House and Stocks, right? Like, and so it's kind of interesting seeing when they also collaborate together and they do their events. So mm-hmm. yeah, they had a lot of stuff. I did run into people from Launch House, but I didn't go to too many of the Launch House events. Or any of them, to be honest, for no particular so for, reason. For, for those, for those who may be listening who don't know exactly what Launch House is, can you just, I guess, yeah, uh, sure. comes to, can you just kind of give like the yeah. high level view of both, for like what those platforms are? Yeah, absolutely. Launch House is essentially like a live-in um, membership for founders, uh, engineers, product designers, etc. Each month, they launch a new cohort of very talented individuals to come and live in a house together and go through this, you know, four weeks. Not only a house. Come on, we you, well, you make well, it sound no, no, like well, this. Okay, all right. All right. It's so a mansion. I live, well, I live in the Beverly Hills mansion. <laughs> okay. So in my core, we live in, I live in the Beverly Hills mansion. Uh, with, the view, own, with the view. Oh, with the view. Crazy, Correct. The whole view of LA. Uh, Paris Hilton used to live there. It was the whole thing. So I, I'm not trying to downplay it. <laughs> but but then also you have, the, there's, a, there's a New York location. Yeah, and they're expanding locations and whatnot. So yeah, Launch House is just, just a community of very talented individuals. People sometimes call it like Soho House of Tech and stuff like that, things of that nature. So yeah, it's it's a great community. Nice, nice. Yeah, Brian, what was it? What was the uh, LA Tech Week like for you? I'm sure you checked out a lot of a lot of crypto events that was happening. Yeah, yeah. what was that like for you? I had a beautiful experience. I, I do think one of the um, there were two kind of downsides to me, and this this would just kind of be some feedback for them. I know they wanted to keep the you know structure of it pretty decentralized and allow like the events to kind of pop up organically, but I do think there needs to be a little bit more of like centralization to help with like the organization of everything. And then the other thing too is having flown across the country, you know, from Atlanta to participate in that week. It did kind of suck to see that, you know, a lot of these events, they were really geared toward either like their portfolio company or, you know, people that were already in their existing networks. But I feel like I hit the right events and that's really all that matters. Like, you know, like Rodney said, the Stonks event was it was it was beautiful. Ended up meeting some really good people, got some follow ups with some with a few investors from there. Um, So like 
for me, got the return there. And then even um, at the Adresen event that happened that Wednesday, it was dope really just to knock elbows um, and just be in, in the room with a ton of dope founders, man, that in my mind, they're, they're incredibly humble and also hardworking, but like really just open to like, you know, supporting you and helping you in, in a multitude of different ways. And then for me, I would say the event of the week was actually probably like culture house. One part of it, like, it's actually really crazy. Like those other events, I wouldn't say were as like diverse versus like this one, it had a good mixture of like, not only us, like black folks, but like literally everybody, there was there 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 were a ton of women and, and and things of that nature that were just doing a lot of dope stuff. And then it was a good mixture of tech, entertainment, and you know like sports and things of that nature. So yeah, like overall, I feel like it was a really good just kind of week for me, just because I am in that phase of really just continuing to build like my personal brand, so I can you know leverage that to continue to grow the business and form uh, you know partnerships. And so. Yeah, I would need it. To, like I said, I would need it to be a little bit more organized for me to want to go next year. <laughs> but overall, like I had a good time this year. I didn't I didn't I didn't go with any expectations. Nice. Would you say there was a good ratio between founders and investors or did it feel tilted in any one particular way? There was a great mixture of, of, of founders and investors. And I'm going to say real investors, like people that actually like cut checks, not people that, you know, hop on Twitter and say, I got a fund. And then, you know, like we, we ain't even going to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And it was high quality, like investors, like folks from like the top, you know, funds and, and things of that nature. And they were just open to conversation. And I think that was just something that I missed having, you know, still recovering from the pandemic and getting more into like these in-person spaces, how quick you can form a relationship when you're in person and it can turn into like value mm -hmm. versus building it over Zoom. And so, yeah, it was, it was definitely a good ratio of people. Nice, nice. Well, I guess that's a good transition considering that we're talking about LA Tech Week. And I know one of the biggest sponsors or folks behind LA Tech Week was uh, A16Z, right? I got, yeah, you know, absolutely. Put the whole, or help organize at least. Mm. Uh, so yep. speaking of them, they uh, I know some some latest news since we did our last episode was Adam Newman raising his his latest round of funding for Flow. $350 million, the largest check from A16Z. <laughs> That That's was coming crazy. up at crazy. almost every event. That that was coming up. Like that was coming up Literally. at every event multiple times for sure. So I'm interested to like get get you all's perspective on it because we I think at this point in time, at least the latest I have, we don't know much about what Flow is. Like I don't really know like exactly what their product is yet. I know it's something dealing with real estate, yeah. but I don't know if it's a technology play. I don't know if it's like a real estate holding company. It appears to be like a something. Uh, it appears like a mixture between the two. Uh, but I'm not quite sure exactly what it is yet. But I'm interested to get your perspective on the on the round. Like, do you think it was a, a good thing for A16? How, how do you think that looks to them? Because I know on Twitter, at least on my timeline, there was a lot of negativity towards it, um, mm -hmm. specifically coming from minority founders. Yeah. And, uh, that being, uh, you know, founders of color, but also um, uh, female founders. Female not founders, really, yeah. Not really happy about it. So, yeah, I'm just interested to get your perspective on uh, how you feel about it. Yeah. I mean, I saw it, and, and uh, to be honest, I felt no type of way. I just thought it was information. And, you know, I, I, when I saw it, I was like, that's, that's like, I just looked at it as information. You know, I didn't feel anything personally or, you know, you know. however, you know, um, looking at both sides of what people are talking about, I definitely see the, like, the static 
<laughs> I see, I see, I see what's the what, what's what's going on and why people are either like maybe actually I didn't see a lot of happiness actually. I either saw like either negativity or just like yo like. It is what it is, almost. You know, I didn't really see like, oh, we're like, we're super excited. I don't, I don't know if I saw much of that, and I don't know if that's a testament to my, my who I follow. But I would say I, I just saw this information. It definitely is huge amount of money, which leads me to believe that A sixteen likely set it up to where it's going to be fine for them. You know, I just I fail to to believe that they're just going to throw three hundred million dollars just for the simple fact that it's Adam Newman. I think like. There's more to it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And um, like even off the simple fact, In a seed round. Yeah, exactly. Like there's, there's, there's there's like, yeah, okay, we get that. Like it seems like he's trying to do like a residential play. And so mm-hmm. it makes sense that he is going to need a lot of money up front to, to get properties and stuff like that. However, the amount being what it was, you know, it's clear that A16Z has some other, you know, they, the risk can't be as high. The risk is not, they're not just throwing away 300 million. I failed to believe that. I don't know all the details behind it, but. It is like, for example, maybe they look at it like, well, worst case, like we could sell the properties or something like that. Like in a, in a regular startup, they can burn $300 million and there's really nothing mm-hmm. of value left, you know, but if you're buying residential properties, even if the business fails, you still have those properties. So I'm sure like there's less risk. This is my perspective. I can definitely understand where people are coming from in terms of, okay, this guy did all this crazy stuff, drove WeWork, you know, from a $47 billion valuation all the way down to, I, I can't even remember what it was. It was like six or $7 billion. They lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, Actually, you know, he's getting this. Let's, let's clarify that though. Was it really him that drilled down the valuation? Because I think that's where a lot of people get confused. Like, think- some of us don't. Set people, the people at that point, right? Like that people, assessed people, by investors, right? He, he did. He did. It, it, it does, but I think it, it was it, it was attributed to directly to like the actions that he was taking. Yes. Like, yes, yes, he was lying about the company being profitable. Yes, there was some shady stuff actually happening behind scenes where he was using the company company's money to invest in like buy up personal real estate. Like, think about this: my man was buying up real estate and then selling it back to WeWork. That's what he, he was, was doing. buying domains right. and selling it back to WeWork. Like that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And so I get I get where people are coming from when they look at it, but when I remove that glass and I look at we live in a capitalistic state, like VCs have one job: it is to return value to shareholders. Nine times out of ten, they gonna go with a second time founder over a first time founder especially when they have this domain. And I think the, the, the you, going back to what Rodney was just saying about these homes, right? So I dove into it a little bit. So the way, the way it's actually working is Adam came to the table with 4,000 apartments already uh-huh. spread across Nashville, Atlanta, Miami, and many other cities, right? And so that's uh-huh. what they're using to see it. And so it's part residential, but then it's also part like a software play as well, where the software is going to be more geared toward like the property management and things of that nature, right? And like the the community. And so when I started to dive into it even more, it's actually, it, it, it seems like almost like a spinoff of, there was a similar play that they were trying to run at WeWork before they were IPOing, which was, I think it was called like We Live or We Life or something like that, right? 
And so it, it seems like they just took that same idea and, you know, packaged it up into, into something else. But the thing about it, when, it, when, when I'm looking at it from an Adresa standpoint, I'm getting the feeling it potentially is giving me clubhouse feels, right? And the reason why it's giving me clubhouse feels is if y'all remember the clubhouse days where, you know, obviously there was this problem of, hey, people are locked down, social, you know, uh, loneliness is a thing. People need to connect. Now you have this platform blowing up and things of that nature. It made sense during that. But A16Z, what did they do? They literally manipulated the whole cap ta- table and valuation for something that really couldn't command that value that valuation. But, and so that this is giving me that same kind of, like when I look at the narrative, right. Where if you go read Mark Adresen's post, he's talking about like, you know, how, you know, being a homeowner is changing and how being a renter is changing because of demographics and people are working from home and things of that nature. Like I'm just seeing like, ah, is this another one of those plays where we're currently, you know, going through a recession, fighting oh, inflation, see, see. you know, we got, we got the I housing, see. you know, crisis starting to happen, mm-hmm. happen because everything that happened, you know, during the pandemic and my housing prices ballooned, like, is this one of those plays where they're going to take advantage of using media, which they're really good at to drive up evaluation. And in the background, they're doing something that we're not even aware of because I, I do think we need to do an episode on cap tables on how some of these investors, they take money off the cap table yes. through secondary rounds. Yes. And so, I don't know which side of the fence that I stand on. I think there's multiple ways to look at it. We're just going to have to see how it plays out over time. I think it's actually interesting. I'll, I'll take the the counter view to, to what I've been saying on my timeline, which is I, I don't think people are understanding like what's actually happening behind the scenes. Like you said, Brian, like we live in a capitalist society where if you're an investor, you're like your, your whole objective is to return capital. And to your point, I would more than likely bet any rational investor who has skin in the game would prefer to back a second time founder than a first time founder. Although Adam has some issues uh, in his path to building WeWork, I still think like he deserves tremendous credit for building a multi-billion, no dollar, a multi-billion dollar company. And use that is incredibly difficult, right? In, 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 in yeah, real exactly. estate. In real estate, a useful product that has really changed the way people, at least my our generation my, thinks about yeah. like flexible office space, right? Like, I mean, it has, it has really changed a lot, but more, more importantly, he has created a tremendous enterprise value. Uh, and so I, I think he like deserves respect for that. I was also going to add to what you were saying about him owning the, uh, all the apartments. I think that made a huge difference too, right? When you're coming to the yeah. table as a founder and you already have, and that is his product built, right? Like that is his version yeah. of having a, a built product. When you already have that, that, that completely changes the narrative. And then I think the other thing too is that Adam is incredibly wealthy, right? And I think because he's doing something in real estate, he would have been able to get financing from anywhere. Like it doesn't have to yeah. be from a traditional VC. It could have been from, I mean, literally when you have hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars, like banks, bankers are literally banging on his door to give him money. I mean, that's just the reality of being wealthy in America. And so I think he would have got the financing regardless whether it came from a 16 and I'm sure other, I'm sure other people have come in on the deal or non-traditional venture investors who are participating in that, in that round uh, because he is doing something in real estate. And so those investors understand how those assets compound over time. I think that's an important strategic point that, that Adam really leaned into uh, in, you know, in his, in his first company when he was building WeWork. A hundred percent, because I'm, I'm even thinking about this, like, bro, you own 4,000 apartments. 
It's a lot. You know how much capital you already had to put up. So like as a, as a venture capitalist, I'm already looking like you got skin in the game. Tons. (laughs) There's nothing beats that. There's nothing beats that. Like you come to the table, you've already put hundreds of millions of your own money into it. So the, so the question I would have for y'all is given the history, you know, everybody know that we work story in these type of situations. Do people deserve grace? Adam? Yeah. Uh, Cause he ain't the only founder that, you know, I mean, went through this kind of Travis Kalanick went through something similar with Uber. There's, there's, there's never been a perfect founder. I don't care if it's a, um, a man or a woman, you know, um, you know, there's never been a perfect founder. I think where people are getting upset is they don't feel like maybe whatever they identify as would get that same path. They may feel like, oh, if I'm a woman, I wouldn't get that same path. Or if I was a Asian man, maybe I won't get that same path. Like maybe they might feel like, or if I was a, a, a black woman, I may not get that same path. I think people are perceiving it as he's getting away with stuff. I, I believe everybody deserves grace. Based on what I currently know, he hasn't hurt anybody. And the way I look at things, it's just like, you know, especially from like a, my worldview, I look at it like if he hasn't done like this serious thing that people have done, like like there's very serious crimes out there that people have done. There's very serious things that yeah. people do to people every day. And, you know, what if Adam Newman has done doesn't upset me compared to all the other things I know that's going on in the world. So some um, rich people lost some money. Yeah. Like I'm not like right. that doesn't that doesn't offend me. Like that, like there's some serious things that go on that I lose sleep about that are going on and they, you know, they affect you yeah. in a real way. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, people that are upset, it kind of seems a little, they can say he has privilege, but it does seem a little, it seems a little childish in my opinion. They might kill me for that. It seems a little childish. No, no, no. It seems childish. No, like, and he does have privilege, but this is the thing. There's unearned privilege and there's earned privilege. Yeah. You can't take away the fact, like still to this day, like think about it. WeWork was operating at a loss. Mm-hmm. Cool. There's a lot of startups that operate at a loss and then go IPO. But my right. guy at one point was doing billions of dollars in real estate revenue. Yeah. yeah right. That's hard. Like yeah. he went and got the largest check yeah. from SoftBank, the yes. largest, you know, fund. Yeah. That's hard. Yes. And also that, that shit's not easy. And also like people, it's so easy to say what they would do in Adam's shoes. Right. If they had, you know, billions of dollars and like, you know what I'm saying? Flowing through the system. Everybody uh, knows what you know, to through do. the bank account. And they had to like, come like, I'm not saying everybody's going to do something like, but you know, actually I've talked to, you know, I've worked at a venture capital firm. I'm with that upfront ventures in Los Angeles. I talked to many VCs. I talked to people who do the, uh, the finances, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of times like when they do like, you know, especially when there's acquisitions, they have to like look at the finances and like, see how, like how much is, there's always going to be a, a portion of the money that's like, unaccounted for it. It's always going to be that. And I remember asking like, so what, like, what's that about? Like, what's that, you know, what's that, what, we have this apportion, like, and you know, like they, people have told me investors, but also the people who actually like go through those deals and make sure that's good. You know, people, founders, like, I don't know if this is right or wrong. Cause I've never done this, but the founders have, you know, paid off a student loan or something like that, or like this, like they like, but they sold the company for a billion dollars. So I like, is it is it is it twenty thousand dollars that they paid off of the student? I, I don't know. It just gets it gets very sticky because everybody has something that they do that other people wouldn't do, but then you know other people would also not like what they did. You know what I'm saying? So it's always like you did this, you did this, and it's like all right, we're playing the blame game. At the end of the day, like did anybody get hurt? And also, 
for the most part, is this guy operating uh, with good intentions? And like what I can say back to what Dre was saying earlier, yo, literally, even when I think about me and Dre's story, like, you know, we work with a big part. <laughs> you know, there was a lot of lonely nights that me and Dre spent and also me alone spent and, and we works just ideating, you know, working at late night and, you know, like in a, in a previous world, maybe 10, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to be in the office space unless I had the credit to do it or the capital to do it. You know what I'm saying? So like he did not create no value. So like he created like, and let me say that in a more better way. He, he, he created value. <laughs> he created value. <laughs> People can't take that away from him. He created some value. So I, I, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at him. I think there's a fine line between, and sometimes the line definitely gets blurry, but I think there's a line between negligence and criminal. Yeah. Right? And yeah, so no. I think the question really is like, was he just negligent in some of his ways of operating the business? Uh, was he just too focused on other things, mm-hmm. right? Like growth or continuing to push the brand or continuing to work on the culture. Like yeah. one of the things that he was working on that caused him to operate a little with a little bit of negligence. He's a risk taker. Is he criminal? Right. He's a risk taker. And so if, as far as I know, I don't believe he's been charged with any crime. I don't believe yeah, he's I mean, been, I don't believe he's done anything that has looked, has been looked at as being actually criminal. So I think from that perspective, I can accept a founder that has operated with a bit of negligence before, because I think we all have done that Yeah, yeah. Uh, in some, in some capacity. It may have, it may look different depending upon like the scale of your company mm-hmm. and the impact of that negligence obviously depends like can, yeah. can, can it really be amplified depending on the size mm-hmm. of your company? But I think there's lessons to be learned in, in that. And I think mm-hmm. usually those second time founders or even the third time founders who, you know, who, you know, the previous situation didn't end well due to negligence uh, usually come out a little bit better. And so I think there's, I think there's lessons that Adam, I'm sure you took from that, that will, will probably make this, his next opportunity much better. And I think that is partly the lens that investors are looking at it through, right? Like, yeah. I, I think his founding, like, I think his funding is different than if like, let's say Elizabeth home pops up tomorrow on TechCrunch with a hundred yeah. million dollar round. Yeah. I, I think we'd be looking at each other. I think it just be a Yo, conversation. That's a good point. <laughs> Yo, one thing I will say, people have been comparing the Elizabeth Holmes thing to Adam Newman. And what they failed to realize is that she, like people were going and getting their blood tested and getting false results. Like, I think you, like, let's take the gender out of this. Let's take the gender out of this. I'm sorry. Let's take the gender out of this. If I, like, cause yo, my health has been something that, especially as of recently, I've been taking so serious. Cause you know, like just something that like, it just started going left for me. So I had to get back on the right track. And, and so I've been through a lot with health and yo, I'm telling you, it is really, really messed up. If, you know, mm-hmm. to deploy a product when you know it doesn't work in the health space. That's a completely different, that is a level of recklessness that's not even, you can't even, you know, because because there are people who have, you know, real things going on with their body and they're seeking, you know, they're seeking that information and making decisions on their life based off that information in the blood work or whatever they're getting. If you're falsifying that and you know that, that is definitely criminal like, like that's criminal going back to what i was saying about my worldview earlier hurting people like hurting like actually like to me that is hurting somebody you know because now mm-hmm. they're operating and everybody knows help if you don't have help you don't have anything so like if you're affecting that like it's one thing if investors if adam you know or travis county threw a, a party in vegas and he spent an extra hundred thousand dollars he wasn't supposed to like okay whatever 
Like, let's, we'll get, like we, y'all can get over that. Like, but she deploys and gets thousands of people to do blood tests on a false, like on a false thing. Not only she lied to the customer, she's lying to, she lied to Walgreens. Then she lied to investors. Basically, she lied to every single body. She lied to the government yeah, too. She lied to the government, lied to everybody. That's criminal. You can't, cannot compare. Like, yeah. she shouldn't, that's not a comparison. Like, like, but I understand the, the sentiment, which is like, yeah, a woman founder may not have been able to get away with, with Adam Newman got away with, but let's not use Elizabeth Holmes as the example. That's not the right example. That's gonna, that's not the right example. Cause then now you're invalidating the ultimate point, which is that yes, Adam Newman has some privileges that he can get away with stuff. You just don't use Elizabeth Holmes because I feel like that invalidates the, the ultimate point. That's real. Yeah, I, I think you touched on the line. And then the last thing I'll say about it too is I think another thing, another narrative that I heard that I was just like, that's crazy, yeah. is um, people saying that, oh, if Andreessen had taken that money and invested it into you know female-led companies or they invested it into people of color. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, honestly, I, I, I'm always, I mean, look, I'm a black founder, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm raising money and Obviously, I, I don't want to not be able to raise money because I'm black. But at the same time, I don't want an investor investing in me because I'm black, right? Yeah. I want an investor investing in me because I'm running a I'm running a business that they believe in. I'm actually building something that is useful, right? That has actual enterprise value, and that we equally believe that this thing should be in the world. Like that's why I should be. That's why I should get a check, not because I'm I'm black and I'm a minority, and I just need to. They just need to meet their their quarterly quota. And so, like, I'm, I'm one of the checks to get to, to get to partake in that. That's um, so I, I think that narrative around, like, how investors should deploy, cap- like, how they should deploy capital in this particular case, like, how they should put that in black founders or female founders. I just think that 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 idea is just super misguided. It mm-hmm. just shows, like, when people are angry or angry and ill-informed, they just start saying stuff that uh, really doesn't make sense. And I'm an LP in a couple of different venture funds. And mm-hmm. I can tell you as an right. LP who was put, who was putting my own money in, into funds, I'm not putting money into funds for funds to just go invested in minority businesses or businesses that are led by women. I'm putting it into funds to actually allocate it properly uh, and bring a return back to my cap and bring a return back. And if we happen to do a, a great deal while we do that, then obviously that's a, that's a win too. But I mean, this is a capital game we're playing at the end of the day. This is mm-hmm. uh, not a not a social game. This is this is about the money, and that's just that's just the game. So speaking of capital, man, because we this this was something else that people were talking about over the last few days. Did y'all listen to the God Did record from Jay Z? No, actually, I actually didn't, but I heard about it a lot. Actually, I I heard it. I didn't listen to it. I feel like that. I feel like that. So, so let I me read it. this line from Jay Z because this I felt like this line kind of went over a lot of people's heads, and unless you know about it. You ain't really going to know about, but we've brought it up a little bit. And so I want, you know, you two to kind of like break it down. But he said, um, nah, we just corner boys with the corner office. I'm at the cap table. What the split is not that cap table boy. We live this. Y'all mind breaking down? Cause I know Dre, you, you mentioned the cap table earlier. What the hell is that? <laughs> and why should people even care about it? How does it tie back into like this whole conversation? Yeah. So I was listening to this. I had to listen to this song a couple of times because honestly, Jay-Z is just such a, he's the true definition of an artist, right? Where yeah. you you can look at his art today and you get one message and you look at it 20 years later and you get a, a completely different message. You know, depending on the generation that you come from too, you can get a different message. So it's always, uh, it's, it's always layers to, to his music. And so, yeah, just generally speaking, I mean, the cat table, I would, I would describe the cat table as, is really like the, 
like the Magna Carta almost of a, of a company or like the constitution almost in a sense. Right. Cause really what it, what it really defines is the ownership, right? Like who really owns what I would say it really signals the hierarchy almost uh, an influence uh, of a corporation. Right. It really, it really signals like who, who has an input, who, who has control, who has majority control, who has minority control. And usually based on that control, that is, is obviously a, a lever on influence. And so it's super powerful when I'm looking at a cap table and I see certain names on there, it just sends a certain signal for other investors, but just generally to the market. Um, like, yeah, I didn't even know like Jay-Z was like a, a on the cap table of Fenty. Yeah, when I saw that, I'm like, that's, okay. that's huge. That's right? huge. Like, that, Fenty, that's that's no, huge. That, like, Fenty is going to be, man, it's going to yeah, be insane. I mean, look, Rihanna is big in her own right. Exactly. Like, she doesn't mm-hmm. need that's what I'm Jay-Z on there, but the fact that he is on there like speaks speaks a lot of volumes. That's, so, that's the yeah, long that's how money. I kind of think about the cap table. No, and I, and I think long. the other thing people need to understand too about the cap table is it's not like it's not easy getting on the right cap table like and this probably be a discussion we do need to have as founders as well is getting on the cap table isn't just giving money like as founders going back to you know what rodney and and, and dre y'all both were speaking to you want to build a business of value you know similar to bringing the right people on your team internally like, you know, to help create that value, your investor is going to have to help create, you know, that value as well. And outside of capital, there's other things of value, you know, offering that you're going to need, such as, A, in the early days, how are you going to get those early, you know, like business deals, you know, things of that nature. And so I just wanted to call that out because I feel like that was one of the things I was seeing across social was like, yeah, I'm about to try to get on this cap table, put some my nigga like i'm just gonna be honest with <laughs> yeah, you you yeah. can put all the money you but if you don't bring anything outside of outside of your money like the best founders aren't going to pay attention to you because capital capital is a commodity mm-hmm. yeah facts that that man that's so true and a lot of founders don't they don't think about that like all money is all, all money is not equal no 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 it's definitely not it's definitely not equal and, like, and it costs it's something. very hard it does cost. It's hard to get people on there. And when that, once they on there, it's hard to get them off. Yeah. 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 The, the, off. Like there's the financial yeah. cost, obviously, you know, making the math work for, you know, the, the, the ownership stake and things of that nature. But like people don't think about the cost that, you know, like the secondary costs, you know, around like the pressure that comes with that, yeah. the consistent updates yeah. and, you know, things of that nature. Yeah. Like, and so be founders out there, be very thoughtful about your cap table, man. Yeah. Yeah, be thoughtful, be thoughtful, but also I learned to be open-minded too. And what I mean by that is, is mm. that there are some investors that I read wrong initially. There were some investors that mm. initially I was like, I, I don't like the idea of this person being on my cap table. I like, for some reason I just, you know, and, but I had this open mind. I was like, you know what, like it could be something, maybe something in me and also it was a smaller check. So I was like, you know what? It's a smaller check anyway, whatever. And this investor ended up being, for the amount he put, especially for the amount they put in, it was like a small check. I'm talking about like $10,000. He's been instrumental, you know, um, and mm. has, has has put me in a lot of great positions to, to one, raise, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions more in capital, but, but then also, you know, inviting me to other, you know, uh, private events and, and things that, you know, uh, help my networking and expand the business. So I would just say, you know, I just recently learned this because I, but I do 
ultimately agree with the ultimate sentiment, which is like, be cautious in general with cap table. But I have learned like, I have been wrong about an investor before. And that was interesting experience. Yeah. Now I, I feel like most like, at least from some of the founders that I've talked to where folks get it wrong is thinking that that $10,000 isn't worth it. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that, yeah. that because of that smaller check, they, they may not provide a tremendous amount of value, yeah, right? right? Where they're like, Oh, if you give me a million dollars, you must. Yeah. And sometimes going back to your point, it's, it's, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, I think that was a really good call up. We got a few more minutes. Speaking of cap table, I, I want to tell this really incredible founder story because I think it's really interesting. And I, I think, as I have gotten further along in my founder journey, it has certainly caused me to reflect over decisions I've made and to rethink like, okay, if I, if I was to do this again, how, how would I do it? Or what advice would I give to a potential founder about different ways that, that you can, can jump into being a founder? Uh, this, this different in the traditional way that, that we are used to, which is like, hey, going out and raising money and having to pitch investors. So I know you both have probably heard of MailChimp before, right? Yeah. This isn't like a, a new story. They sold a, a while ago. But I think the story behind MailChimp is incredibly fascinating. So MailChimp was started actually in 2001. And the guys that started it, Ben and Dan, uh, they actually started as a as a web design agency. So they were doing like their own web design agency. Where they were just working on websites, similar to what me and you were doing yeah. back in the day. Just like yeah. building apps, just yeah. you know, trying to, as a consulting business. Yeah, just get some extra money. And their consulting business was actually thriving. Like it was doing really, really well. Um, and it was through that, through the, through the consulting business, they started getting requests from customers for help with like email marketing and just like managing an email list and communicating with customers. So they built a solution. Uh, and it took, it took them about six years actually before they like went all in on MailChimp and dropped the, the agency and just to focus on MailChimp. But what I thought was remarkable about the MailChimp story is they never took a single outside investor. Never. Mm -hmm. um, the founders own the entire company. They didn't even distribute, to my knowledge, I don't even believe they distributed equity to employees. I think they might have been doing like uh, some type of bonus structure where they were actually paying employees yeah. out through probably some of the cash flow. Yeah. But the latest revenue that they were doing in, in 2021 was mm -hmm. over $800 million in revenue. They sold to Intuit for $12 billion. That's crazy. Not yeah, a crazy. single investor on the cap table. Both founders walked away with, I think they, they set aside like 300 million for like employees to like pay bonuses mm -hmm. or something like that. But both founders walked away with 11 million mm -hmm. uh, in total. So they're going to basically split. So, 11, I'm going to say 11 billion, sorry, 11 billion dollars. Yeah. Let me, let me ask this question to you two, you know, for the founders out there, because this is a decision that you have to make. When should you bootstrap versus when should you go down the venture path? Any thoughts there? Man. Well, I'll answer really quickly because I think in their case, they were demonstrating signal early that they didn't need outside capital. So I, I think in their case, when you're selling like a B2B product uh, where you're able to actually like capture revenue immediately for that product, I think that has the potential to change how you think about financing the company. And then I think the other thing that really helped as well is that they weren't necessarily gunning for instant growth, right? Like they, they, they really had like a long-term mindset. And so I think a lot of times like founders feel compelled to go out and try to raise capital quickly because they want to grow. They want to scale really quickly. But I mean, they've been building this since 2001. So, I mean, they got mm -hmm. over 20 years of long-term compound building a product, iterating on the product, continuing to take that product to market and grow it. And so I think if you take a long-term mindset and you build a product that 
you're able to capture revenue and actually generate profit from it, then I think that changes how you might think about the financing of it. And I think, yeah, they were just in that fortunate position where they were able to do it. So I think if your business is in that state and you're not like trying to instantly pump it up and grow it, then um, I think it can make some sense to bootstrap it. Not, and, and I think there's other inputs too, like the fact that, you know, they had a, a consulting agency. So I'm assuming they had some savings from that, right? That business was doing pretty well. So they, you know, it wasn't like they were completely broke and at zero, um, which I think is a, is a huge factor to take into account. For sure. It seems to me like this question is definitely, you know, highly dependent on the type of business and how you want to build it. And it's just, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of factors. There's a lot of factors for sure. There's a lot of factors, uh, the technical, you know, complexity, you know, or whether or not it's a physical device, but in, in, like in Dre's example, this is B2B. So it doesn't necessarily need tons of capital up front, stuff like that. Melcher doesn't seem too technically insane. What I mean by that is that you're not going to need some crazy, 10x you only five 10x engineers to to build Mailchimp. Uh, the competitive advantage isn't the product; yeah, it's distribution. Distribution there. is like, nice brand, amazing brand. Yeah, just just great execution. Clearly, <laughs> great execution. Clearly, yeah, great execution. So, uh, yeah, uh, thanks for sharing that uh, story, Dre. Let me throw a, a few topics at y'all and quickly get y'all thoughts as as we wrap this up. The first one: forty percent of searches are going through TikTok for young people. What? Is Google in trouble? Is Google in trouble? TikTok is getting, I think so. I don't like, TikTok is getting out, of, getting out of hand. It's getting out of hand. <laughs> I think so. It's getting out of hand. I think they're in trouble. I think they're in trouble. I, when I really look at it, and honestly, I think we can do a whole different, a separate conversation about it. I think Google is like, okay, let's do it. I think they're getting unbundled in many ways. I think it's happening mm. across like search, um, productivity mm. tools, and even email. Um, oh, and I mean, when you think about like the, the core, the core Google assets, I mean, those are like the core assets, right? Like search productivity, meaning like Google Docs, Drive, you know, <laughs> video call, all, all of that stuff. I think it's being unbundled. I mean, you have Zoom on the productivity side, you have Notion, um, Superhuman mm-hmm. on the email side. There's calendar apps that are becoming increasingly more popular. And then obviously the stuff with TikTok and search. I do think Google should be worried. It doesn't, they may not see it now, but. I think they're actually, I do Long term. see it. I, I do believe they see it. I do believe yeah. Google sees it. They know the history of, of, of big companies yeah, yeah, being disrupted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen it so many times. Yeah. So they know. They know. Yeah. So, Rodney, this is for you, man. So, yeah. less than 1%, it came out so less than 1% of Netflix subscribers are currently using their gaming platform. You believe in Netflix game? Do I believe in Netflix gaming? No, I do not. I do not. Um, <laughs> I do not. I, 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 it doesn't make sense to me. It makes sense. Okay. From a business and trying to expand the businesses, they're like, you know, going into different, like that makes sense. If I was a business owner, if I was the founder or if I was the team in Netflix, it would make sense to try to experiment with a gaming, you know, outside of it, et cetera, et cetera. For example, Blockbuster used to have you know, uh, movies, but they, I, as there was times when they had a section for games and video games, shit like that. Right. So there's, there's, that kind of is not uh, that's not unusual for those things to be nearby. It's just that, but when I think about it from a product standpoint, my mind doesn't put Netflix in that. So it's like I don't even want to try it. Like, and that's just me. That's 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 a consumer in me, right? So like, it, like it, the consumer in me is like, I don't even want to. And, and maybe that's why it's one percent right now. However, I'm open to be proved wrong. I'm not, you know. Well, it's been out for a year now. 
I didn't, I barely chewed. Where, where is it at? <laughs> where is it at? Like, is it in the app? <laughs> it's in the app. I didn't even know that. Even like, know, it's in the app. That's crazy. Yeah. I wouldn't, how do you play it? Nah. I think, I think it's only on the mobile app, though, I believe. I don't even use Yeah, yeah, it. it's oh, in the mobile okay. app. Okay. Yeah. What? Yeah. You play it on the, on the, on Netflix? You gotta down, yeah. And you gotta download, like, you have to download the game on your device, yeah. and then you can play it separately outside of Netflix. Yeah. It's, I mean, they have technical limitations, though. I understand why they had to do it that way. Cloud gaming is still not no, quite where yeah. it needs to be. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, not, I understand. Like, I guess if you're going to take the swing, I guess take it before the technology matures, right? I guess that's really the thesis. Cause, yeah. Because cloud gaming isn't uh, quite ubiquitous just yet. Yeah, try to I guess experiment now. To market, yeah, experiment now. And then when it's there, then, you know. Cloud gaming would that. make it way easier for the for them to scale games and distribute them and all these things for sure. Without a doubt. It's just like, they're just going to have to fight the change, especially in my mind. Cause Netflix, I just don't look at it like a game. Like I just don't look at it that way. And I just don't think that like, I don't know. It would take, it would take me seeing other people having a lot of fun on Netflix for me to be like, oh, okay, let me, let me tap into that. But like, like it's just like, I'm not going to go on my way. Like, and I'm a, and I'm an early user of a lot of products, but I'm not. Yeah. Nah, but I think back to like a previous conversation um, that we were having around Disney and, you know, Disney starting to, you know, outcompete Netflix. And a lot of that is due to like the content. I think it's going to be pretty similar in the gaming space as well. Like Netflix is going to have to make some serious acquisitions or, you know, invest a ton of money to get their content to where it's going to be, you know, needs to be to compete with like the Microsofts and Xboxes of the world, uh, you, you know, things of that nature. And so it's still early. We'll see. They spend a 20 billion right now on content. So, I mean, Woo. that's a lot of money. A year, that's annually. At least talk, talk about Adam, but yeah, my I fault. Know, I know, I know, right? <laughs> my fault. Yeah. My fault. <laughs> it's <up> with a B. <laughs> A few more things real quick. So that this this is intriguing. Uh there's this guy, he's an engineer on 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 Twitter and he gets access to like, you know, the Instagrams and things of the world and uncovers these features. And so Instagram is in the process of rolling out boards which is pretty similar to like, you know, Pinterest. They announced that they're rolling out group profiles which is like Facebook groups on Instagram. They're actually launching their Be Real competitor, which we talked about a few weeks ago. They're calling it Instagram Candid. And then also they're taking a shot at Hootsuite and going to start to allow people to, you know, schedule uh, and deliver content here over the next few weeks. Instagram is doing a lot, man. I know we I know we've talked about that, but it seems like they're coming for everybody. Like the fact that they're coming for Pinterest now, Hootsuite, which is a B to you know, B2B play. Like any thoughts there? I mean, this is following a typical Facebook uh, playbook, right? Where they just copy other products, right? Like that's the call typical it innovation. Yeah, I mean that's the. I mean, what do they say? Smart people copy or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a yeah. there's like a, a saying that, but, or something uh, like that. Um, yeah, yeah, great artists copy or something like that. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, this is a typical Facebook product marketing, like being product roadmap, right? Where they look at what's working, they take it, they try to replicate it. Sometimes it works, right? Like stories worked out for them. I would say Reels is starting to show some work, like starting to show that it could potentially work. I mean, even their advertising platform was somewhat of a, a playbook, a takeaway from Google. I mean, obviously the data is different, but like the, the being able to scale a ma- massive advertising platform is taken from Google. So but mm-hmm. I, I think like the playbook has definitely worked. It's always difficult to like, prejudge whether or not these things will work or not. So we'll see. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And they also have a lot of capital to just experiment the way that they're doing. But the last thing I was going to say is if you haven't watched the little baby documentary yet, it's on the level of genius. The Kanye doc. Watch. Watch, it watch that. He's him. Watch it. Okay. All right. Cool, so man. now this was good, man. I learned some new things. Definitely. Definitely. Man.